Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Robbie Martin. And this is your host, Abby Martin. Hi, Abby. So you had quite a, <laughs> hey. a, a surreal adventure. Um, you got a random, well, not random, this is in planning for a long time, but suddenly uh, you were given the opportunity to go to Israel um, to do reporting for Empire Files. And it seemed like it happened all very fast. You were talking um, to me about going to Israel for months. I don't know, maybe even as far back as six months ago. You, you said you might be able mm. to go there and, and report. But So so tell me like what happened. How, first, tell me how the trip came together, like what the circumstances were that created it. And then, um, obviously, you didn't... Uh, you didn't go on a birthright trip. You didn't go to the, you didn't go to any <laughs> beaches in Tel Aviv or, or nightclubs and, and partying with with Israelis. You went on kind of a almost like the inverse of that kind of Israel tour. Yeah, um, it was like the opposite of the birthright tour. <laughs> yeah. So remind people really quickly too that when you were doing breaking the set, um, there was an incident, and I don't know if it was during the Five Day War. You can correct me on this, but where mm. RT headquarters or they had a building in. Israel that was bombed an RT employee was had their legs severed and your whole thing and I agree with you obviously <laughs> that it was intentionally targeted because in these in these war zones just like the United States they intentionally target adversarial journalists and in that instance you actually managed to get the Netanyahu spokesperson on as a guest on your show who was like vehemently arguing that it wasn't intentionally targeted, it was an accident, and then he actually invited you to come to Israel. Exactly, <laughs> like that was like my backup. Carpet, right? <laughs> that was my backup. I was going to be like, I was personally invited by Netanyahu's spokesperson. I, like, so I didn't I get that come. story wrong. That's what happened, right? <laughs> no, you you got it right. Okay. It was during Operation Pillar of Cloud, so it was the one the year before the insane. Oh, operation. so oh, was it different? It was the different um, assault. It was different than the 2014 just total massacre where over 500 children died. So the year before that Operation Pillar of Cloud, not Operation Protective Edge, (laughs) was when they bombed the Al-Sharok Journalist Tower, a giant multi-floor building in Gaza City. And yeah, you're right. An RT journalist's leg was blown off. And and it was interesting because it came right on the cusp of me doing extremely hard-hitting adversarial journalism about the assault already and I was the only person on the network who was just balls to the wall, totally biased, totally like pro-Palestinian and really calling out the Israeli government. And so, you know, the next day, this journalist tower gets bombed and RT was just like, wow. Um, you know, of course, the Russian government got contacted by the Israeli government. And what they said was very shocking, which is they said, you've already taken a side in the conflict. Um, and if that isn't kind of an opaque threat, then I don't know what is. Um, and so that was a really bizarre time. So I think that I was on the radar for a while back then. Obviously, if Netanyahu's spokesperson came on and gave this weird half-ass apology, but really was, you know, still vehemently defending the fact that they didn't know there were journalists in the building, even though Avita Lebovich, one of the press officers on the ground, said a direct quote. She said, we obviously knew there were journalists in the building. Her whole point is it was a Hamas target, just like everything is in Gaza. So, you know, and then the next year, of course, going out there every day reporting on the Gaza massacre, um, Operation Protective Edge and really getting in the spotlight. And, And I think one of the coolest things about the whole trip was that nearly every Palestinian that I met, young, middle aged and elderly knew who I was. 
Wow. <laughs> it was absolutely surreal. Whether we are in small villages or big cities. How do you think that um, was? When they, do you think they watched Breaking the Set? Because of the coverage. Because if you're Palestinian, you are a terrorist. If, no matter if you're nonviolent, if you're not active, or if you've engaged in some sort of armed resistance in your life. And once I tell you about what this place really was like, you'll understand that really to exist is an act of resistance for these people. And so to see someone on an international media stage actually sympathizing with their plight was like the most important thing in the world for them. And so these videos actually went completely viral. Um, hundreds of millions of people have seen them. Um, it was absolutely insane. I've never been more recognized in my life than I was there. So that's that was really, that's a totally really validating thing. Yeah, it was extremely validating for all the coverage that I've done. And well, yeah. just to have so many people be like, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, I mean, it is really sad um, that there weren't more people taking the opportunity to do what you did when you had Breaking the Set. Um, and because that is, I mean, yeah, just think about that for a second. Like, really let that sink in, that you had an international TV media platform and you were, you were actually humanizing and showing empathy and emotion towards Palestinians and really, really aggressively rallying against the Israeli assault and in the way the Israeli military is acting. I mean, that is really important. Like, I mean, it's not a small thing what you did, but at the same time, like other journalists can do that. They just choose not to. Exactly. They dehumanize Palestinians because they've been taught to and that, and they haven't broken out of that programming. Um, yep. And it's really sad. I've always said that. I've always said every journalist can do what I did. They just choose not to. And it's not just about Israel. It's about everything. Any journalist can go out there and fight with their editors and producers and bosses to pave editorial freedom and to push the levels of what the discourse is on whatever network they are. They just choose not to because job security is too important to them. Yeah. So I've, I've said that about every issue, you know, the Russia thing, the, the Israel stuff. It's just like, and this you one, know, and all the corporate uh, attacks. Yeah, and then I think people also need to realize too that it's not like russia is heavily going against israel too they're mostly focused on like russia today is mostly focused on the united states so like a lot of that was your own perspective i mean i'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying a lot of it it was like that you yeah. you were pushing to give all you know to to take that angle and to and to cover it that way so um it's you know, it's not if, if any idiots out there are like, oh, that was on Russia today. Well, it's not. It's actually not Kremlin propaganda like Russia and Israel have a fairly good relationship. Right. Great relationship, actually. Um, but sorry, continue. No. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's really what it was that people were just like blown away that that happened. Um, and it was completely unheard of for the people that live in Palestine to see that. So oh. we get in. Totally got through, shockingly, um, and we're in the airport. We get picked up by our tour guide, and we just are we start driving. And as we're driving, it's this beautiful land. You know, we're we're kind of just mentioning how gorgeous these rolling hills, all these stone walls, and little things. As she's pointing out on the way to our cameraman's house, who who lives there, his name's Dan Cohen. Everyone check him out on Twitter. And he's, 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 he's not even, I mean, to call him a cameraman is an understatement. He's like an, a, oh, he's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. totally uh, brave ass journalist oh, in and of, even of himself, you know? 
he's actually one of the most important journalists in Israel. Like oh, one yeah. of the few most important journalists in Israel. He's Jewish American and he just moved to the West Bank and is in the line of fire literally every day. And I'm not joking when I say in the line of fire because this place is under fucking martial law. Yeah. Um, and I, we almost got killed like and shot several times just by fucking being there. So it's not a joke. It's completely insane. It's a total war zone. So we're, we're driving to his house in the, in the West Bank. At that point, we were driving out of Tel Aviv. And just like little things that she was pointing out as we were driving, like there's a Palestinian village. Israel makes them park their cars at the bottom of the hill and they have to walk up. Like certain things that like you wouldn't even know until someone was telling you what was happening. So we saw all these like Palestinians like walking for like miles up this giant hill because they can't drive to their own homes. What? Um, so that was, yeah, yeah. I and mean, this wasn't even in Gaza? Like this was just like no, on the Israel not. side? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> the way that it's set up, and these, here's some things that I didn't realize. So Israel is built on top of Palestine. So for people who don't understand, you know, it's not two separate countries. It was a country built on top of another one. And over the decades, it's just been more constricted, more consolidated, you know, with with the major conflicts that have happened over time, there's been more and more land seizures and land grabs. So that land is rapidly shrinking. But so the West Bank is a, you know, Gaza City and and all of Gaza is just a tiny strip with 2 million people packed into a tiny hellhole, totally under siege and blockade from the Israeli government. Of course, the Rafah crossing, which is on the Egyptian side, is closed 99.999% of the time. So I've had people be like, well, they could just leave out of Egypt. That's totally untrue. The Egyptian government, Israeli government work together to constrict these people and keep them imprisoned. Yeah. Unlike other refugees in the world that can actually leave by boat, if you even try to leave Gaza, you will get executed. There's a buffer zone around the border. If you even go close to it, if you go try to farm or whatever, you get shot. If you leave by boat, you get shot. So basically, they want them to die. Um, they want them to suffer. They want them to die slowly inside of this strip. So I, I, I knew that about Gaza, but what I didn't know was that the West Bank is under a completely militarized martial law style occupation. I mean, I knew it was under occupation. I didn't know how visible the occupation was because everyone kind of downplays that all the time. Um, and, and everyone always says like, well, it's two separate things. You have Palestine and Israel. It's like the West Bank is Palestinian and, the, and Israel is Israel. That's not true at all. Israel has the whole place under occupation. Um, so we're driving through the West Bank right at the border and the main checkpoint as we're going inside the West Bank. Um, <clears throat> there's a giant red sign that says under the Palestinian Authority, the entrance for Israeli citizens is forbidden, dangerous to your lives and is against Israeli law. So already we're like, what the fuck is this? Like, why is this sign? It's like all about projection. You know, anyone who studies this issue knows that Israel basically survives, its entire existence survives on projecting what it does to others being done unto them. Yeah. Ethnic cleansing, terrorism, rampant violence, etc. It sounds like the United so, States. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it, it's so actually comical. So yeah. the sign was just kind of funny. I was like, wow, it's funny when really Palestinians are getting executed every day beyond this line. But all, but all. But other than that, it was also interesting because it shows this forced segregation where Israeli citizens literally like it's illegal for them to go into these areas because they just want to force segregate everyone and keep that fear alive of the other. Like you can't even go and interact with Palestinians because um, it's like it's, it's too dangerous for you, man. These people want to fucking kill you. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're at the border. First thing we see other than the sign 
is an ambulance being stopped and a fucking body being carted out of the ambulance. And I was like, wow, we were here for five minutes and we're already seeing like a dead body being checked at a checkpoint, like for weapons. It was like the most surreal thing. Um, And then we later realized that basically you can't even take an ambulance from the West Bank into Jerusalem. So they make you like switch ambulances and stuff because, you know, you might be carrying a weapon or you might be stuffed with something stuffed with explosives in your in your body so it's like people just can't get services their services are delayed so much they even set up a birthing center at certain checkpoints because people are trapped there for like eight nine ten hours like animals in cages they have to leave to go to work at like three in the morning wow and that's like a universal thing you know like not wanting to wait in traffic and you know it's shitty to go to work already yeah but these people have to wake up like five, six hours earlier to go through these checkpoints. And women actually were giving birth so much at them that they actually had to set up some makeshift birthing center. So we go through the West Bank. We drive to Dan's house. Um, and we finally get to this this camp in Nablus called Balata Refugee Camp. And it was it was awesome. It was just like the second we got in, everyone was extremely kind. We look we look Israeli like Mike and I. There's no reason to think that we're not Israeli. Mm-hmm. And we were in a car with settler plates. So when people say there's no apartheid, that's bullshit. Well, the definition of apartheid is having separate laws for different people. And you can see it just in the cars because people have Jewish license plates and Arab license plates. I'm not even joking. Wow. We were in a car with Holy yellow shit. license plates with like Palestinians can't get unless they have special access to get into Jerusalem, which like 90% of Palestinians can't even get there. So we were in a car with yellow plates. There's no reason to think that we're not settlers or Israeli, but we never encountered one time out of the hundreds of Palestinians that we encountered, dozens of villages that we visited. Not one person threw anything at us. Not one person said anything mean to us. Everyone was extremely gracious and kind, loving, welcoming. It was the most insane experience. I've actually never experienced something more gracious and hospitable than Palestinians without even knowing who we were. And then when they found out we were American, they were just like, we love America. I was like, why? Why do you love Americans? Like, we are funding your misery and death. Like, I didn't say that, but I was just, like, thinking, how is that possible? Like, if Palestinians came to America, people would be like, fuck you. You know, it was just, like, the complete opposite. It just seems like no matter if you're in Japan, Vietnam, or Palestine, people do not associate your criminal government's actions with, like, the people of the country. And I really appreciated that, considering how people blame all Palestinians for, like, electing Hamas and think that they all deserve to die. Yeah. So that was really cool. And we were at this refugee camp, which is kind of a hotbed of like resistance. You saw a lot of murals. um, And I'll explain to you about how the refugee camps work. But within hours of being there, we we barely have decompressed from the plane ride when we found out that Israel had just killed some guy farming. And Nancy, our tour guide, was like, let's go to the service. And we're like, wow, this is getting real, real quick. Um, So we went to this service in this village and, you know, the women are separated from the men um, out of custom. And so all the men in the tour went to the male side of the service and I went to the female side of the service. And without knowing us at all, I mean, we all just go into this woman's house whose husband had just gotten killed hours prior. And all I saw were just like, like a hundred just wailing women Um, So anyone who wants to say that Palestinians have a culture of death 
and they celebrate death. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. And I was sitting in a service for someone who just got executed and it was just like any other service when you lose someone that you love and you're mourning them and you're bawling your eyes out. So I was sitting there, you know, with his sister and mom and it was extremely intense and traumatic um, because I just kept thinking about these talking points that are repeated so flagrantly without any real knowledge about what these people go through and what their lives are like. But Abby, I thought that they were a death cult. <laughs> you say the that they're you say that they're human and they're sad when their loved ones <laughs> die, and that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and it was just amazing. I mean, Israeli forces killed this guy. We found out later that they said that he charged toward a guard tower. It's like, come the fuck on. These people are not charging toward Israeli guard posts. Oh, one thing I... What really happens... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go. go on. No, no, no. I was just going to say what really happens is that they kill a bunch of people and then they use any excuse in the book and no one questions it because they all think Palestinians have a death wish. Yeah, it almost reminds me of cops. I was just going to ask you about the IDF, but really quickly, like cops mm-hmm. in the United States are more, are more aggressive now where they, it's more about officer safety. So they'll shoot someone for doing less, you know, than they used to, or they'll shoot to kill. Exactly. But it's like the exactly. IDF are almost like more, they have like a lower threshold for that because oh, in absolutely. their eyes, you know, kind of like we saw during the Boston bombing. It's like all bets are off, dude, once like bomb suicide bombing becomes a possibility. Because mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. at that point, it's like, oh, so like anybody, even like a little kid coming towards me can be like carrying a bomb and like blow me up. It's like the most insidious, like crazy mindset to have. But that is almost like what the Israeli police state is built on. They've It's, it's like the war on terror laws here and the mindset here except it happened way before 9-11 in israel where they already were built up to believe that they had the justification to act like this because everyone could be a suicide bomber yeah you know so i mean but i'm not saying i believe that it's that's how that's how devastating that mindset can be is like you can rationalize horrible doing horrible things um yeah and even more so is that the world rationalizes it for you yeah you know well so what was your experience did you encounter any idf people so far just seeing them like on the streets like yeah yeah so as we're driving around and and this is even this is crazy so as we leave this guy's service and i'm like shaken up i just can't believe that this just happened you know and i'm kind of having all of my um all of the dogmatic bullshit that like new atheists and all these people who are islamophobes say about palestine and say about this culture just totally turn on its head as we leave the service we're driving down the road and what do you know the idf had blocked off the road tear gassed everyone and had all of their rifles pointing at us so basically they were punishing people for going to this guy's funeral um, and we almost got, I mean, it was like, at that point we were like, wow, if we just, if we do anything right now, we could be killed. Like the IDF has, they have tear gassed everyone. They've set up blockades and they're now pointing all of their guns at us in the car. And we had like a picture of the guy in our windshield cause they had printed oh, them up. Shit. Cause it's like such a daily occurrence that they print up posters of people, you know, the whole, like putting up pictures of martyrs, so- that whole like thing that I mean, there's so many people who die on a daily basis and they experience this every day that they have an apparatus in place to really, you know, print posters really quickly, honor these people, put up their photos just like we do when people die. Was this just not as often a line of IDF soldiers pointing the guns at all the cars or were they? No, it was just one. It's like 
it was just one car because it was like kind of a small village. So it was just our car leaving at that given moment. Uh-huh. And that's what we saw. And so we quickly turned around. But it's like, this is what they do all the time because it's under martial law. They set up flying checkpoints, roadblocks. They set up concrete barricades randomly. will shut in whole villages for hours, sometimes days, um, just to torture people and punish them for being Palestinian. For really no other reason other than going to this guy's funeral. They just wanted to fuck with people who were there in the area. It reminds me of, um, it's like, it would almost be like if the Oakland police... Like some gangbanger guy, like, uh, you know, was on the run in like a neighborhood in like East Oakland. And then they like punished like a neighborhood in East Oakland in the neighborhood for like not exactly knowing where the guy was or something. And then like barricading them in. I mean, it had, I've seen videos of, of this happening in in these areas in Israel and in the Gaza Strip and stuff. And it, it is like some sort of like weird, well, you must be part of this. So we're just going to like punish the entire neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's it mm-hmm. is really crazy that they can get away with that. It is really crazy. <laughs> um, so that night, I actually think it was that night. Um, we go back, and we're about to leave again. Um, and this time we had we had two cars with settler plates, so two cars with the yellow plates, and one car with Palestinian plates because Palestinians at the refugee camp were helping the tour, and they were like kind of showing us around and stuff. Nancy's a Palestinian with Israeli passport, so she. Um, she's kind of able to like do a lot yeah. that a lot of other people aren't. So w- Mike and I ended up in the car with just three Palestinian guys. <laughs> um, and you know, the settler plate cars went off fine. And so we're driving through this road. Um, the settler cars go through this checkpoint fine. Of course, there's like a bunch of flying checkpoints and they're all like half a mile from each other. It's just like all these like Israeli soldiers are just bored and have nothing to do. So they just set up like the most like ultra militarized um, checkpoints and like apparatus because they have nothing else to do. So like they're like every couple hundred yards, there's just another checkpoint. And it's like, great, we have to go through another checkpoint. So we go through this checkpoint and all of a sudden I just got freaked out because the guy, they, they came up, the Israeli soldiers, M16s pointed in our faces and I just like my heart sunk because I was like, okay, this is absolutely wait, wait, wait. terrifying. So were you, first of were all, were you guys stopped? Yes. Yeah, so we got stopped because once they see that Palestinians are in the car and you're not, you don't have settler plates, then there's a problem. Uh-huh. So this this happens every time you'll go through a checkpoint or encounter a soldier if you're Palestinian. So um, it's just a completely different experience. Whereas when we were in Dan's car with the settler plates or Nan- or the tours car, it was no problem at all. We were flying through these things. But when the second we got in the Palestinian car with these three guys, we were stopped, held for an hour. Our shit was taken. M16s were pointed in Mike and my, my faces. I was like shaking because I was like, hold on, this is insane. I was like, they're going to deport us. They're going to send these guys to prison because I just heard that First of all, every Palestinian's been in prison. If you're, it's illegal to protest in the West Bank. So if you are engaged in ten people outside with a sign, you can be jailed for I don't know years. So they've totally cracked down on any form of dissent whatsoever. Like you can't even raise a flag, otherwise you'll get shot. And I'll tell you that story later. Um, so basically, if you have anything that resembles a weapon. And that's what they do these raids for all the time. It's like, you cannot have guns, you can't have knives, you can't have anything that resembles a weapon all across the West Bank, even though Israeli settlers hold M16s and go jogging in their villages and stuff. So I had a nail file that was super small, but I also was like, wait a minute, if they find this on me, 
then these guys are going to go to prison. And I was just like, I just kept thinking, like, what should I do about this nail file? Like, the police are going to find it and send these guys to prison because they just got out of prison. All three of them had just gotten out of prison for, I don't know, probably throwing a rock or something insanely dumb. But they were they were just totally calm. And I was shaking. And they were just like, we go through this all the time. They were like, I'm really sorry this is happening. And I was like, why are you sorry? I was like, I'm sorry that this <laughs> is happening. Like, this is insane. So did they and the, have- Isra- the Israeli soldier was just like, what, why are you guys traveling together? He couldn't even comprehend why Americans would be with Palestinians. It was like a completely foreign concept to these soldiers. So... Describe for me a little bit more detail, like where they actually pointed the guns at you. Did they yell first and then they like pointed the guns through the window or was it like? Yeah. So. So. So they 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 always have their hand on the like right on the trigger, basically. Uh-huh. And they're always holding these giant M16s, which are extremely terrifying. Like, I don't think people really understand how scary that is. Like as scary as American cops are at their militarized peak. They don't have M16s pointed at your fucking face. Yeah, and they're also like not so, young kids that don't look properly yeah, exactly. trained also. Exactly. These kids look like they were like 17. A ton of them had American accents. So the guy, so, the guy so who pointed the gun at you, was it just one guy or, or multiple? It was a guy and a really hot girl. And oh this God. is another strategy they use is like hot Israeli girls who are completely fetishized throughout the media. While we were there, we saw this Vice article being like, the defiant feminism of Israeli soldiers who are female. Which it's is like, weird because it's like it's, the third time they've ran, ran an article like that in the last like four years. They did. Mm. You, you know, they already did this like two other times. I'm not surprised. It's fucking. It's just, so Vice is not only are they running out of content, they're like repeating the same, like probably paid for propaganda by the Israeli yeah. government. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. disgusting. And Mike Bean in the military was like, this is insane for like female soldiers to have like long flowing hair. Like, because they just have their hair down. Oh, yeah, they're supposed to look hot. Completely insane. Oh, yeah. So we're sitting in the car. They take all of our stuff, and they just are sitting there with M16s pointed at us through the window for, like, five or ten minutes, like, not saying a thing, just these stern faces. And I'm just, like, shitting my pants at this point. And then they go back to the car with all of our stuff. And that's when I was like, they're going to find this nail file, and they're going to send you guys to prison. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Um... And I was just I was just thinking about the worst thing happening after sitting there for an hour. um, They come back and just throw our stuff at us. And they're like, go. And I was just like, we had to like stop the car because I was just like, I need to like. Yeah, I was just like, I felt like such a baby because I was like, you guys go through this like probably like a 100 times a day. And I just like had this complete freak out. All these Palestinian kids who are watching the whole thing came up to us with coffee and they were like America. Or they like gave us a little coffee. I was like, what? it was crazy because it happened like right in front <laughs> of this little like Seven Eleven style thing. Holy shit! So, so that was the that was like the second day there. <laughs> I was just thinking about how um, if you're trying to bring any drugs uh, into these areas, don't do it because they'll that mm. they could probably you know oh, by one way people no. get thrown in jail all the time. Like, is weed even legal in Israel? Um, I know that hash is there, but I don't, I mean, it's just a really dumb idea to be driving with anything because these people have zero like standards for ethics or human rights and they will just like throw you in jail. I mean, look at what happened to Rachel Corey. Yeah. I mean, obviously no Palestinians are allowed to have weapons. Like you can't can't be armed. No, no, no. So, so yeah. So, um, 
So basically, the, the refugee camps are really interesting because after the Nakba, which was the initial ethnic cleansing of, of most Palestinians, where it's a really unique situation because we're talking about a population that are refugees within their own country. And there's really no other country in the world that has this problem. Uh-huh. You know, where a country was built on top of another country, and of course it's displaced hundreds of thousands, millions of people within its own country. And so the people who weren't massacred, the people who didn't flee to Syria and other countries, um, the UN came in and set up these makeshift tent cities for refugees. So of course that didn't look very good for the international community. It didn't look good for Israel. So then they made the refugee tent cities into permanent housing. So they went in and actually made like shitty concrete little houses with tin roofs. And mind you, this is the Middle East, so it's about 115, 120 degrees in the summer. And so these people like baking in these little concrete houses. I went inside several of them. They were horrible. And we talked to some people who were there that were just like, that was the worst thing we ever did was move into these little concrete homes. They're like, because now people look at us and say like, look, you have homes, you're not refugees. And he was like, we're all trapped in these camps. A lot of the camps are barricaded by apartheid walls. And the camps that we stayed in, it was really cool because Nancy took us to a couple of the camps that are like hubs and hotbeds of resistance still. And, and I don't mean like, armed resistance where people are going out with there with guns and you know like the the al-aqsa brigade is out there it's like i'm talking about like just kids who like throw rocks at tanks <laughs> you know like kids who are just like they they don't back down they will they will throw rocks at you if you come in and that's really what they deem as terrorism there was just a new law under israel that if you throw a rock you can go to jail for up to 20 years so when you're throwing a rock Think about this. I mean, they're mostly throwing rocks at walls and tanks. It's like impossible to even hurt Israeli soldiers. But the nights that we were in the refugee camps, we were actually very lucky that we didn't experience the raids that happen almost daily. Bullet holes everywhere, tear gas canisters all over the ground. Um, We heard a bunch of gunshots every day just from all over around us. We had no idea where they were coming from. Just like that's like a constant thing that you're just hearing. And we didn't know if it was people just shooting you know, Israeli soldiers just shooting for fun or if people were getting hurt. Um, and so basically every night we happened to miss just like a huge raid at every given camp. The Blada refugee camp that we were at the night that we crashed at Dan's house, that got completely raided by IDF soldiers. And this happens almost daily. So when people think like, oh, there's just two separate countries, Arabs are living peacefully, Israelis are living peacefully. I mean, not only is it under martial law, not only are these militarized checkpoints to harass and terrorize Palestinians on a daily basis, not only is protesting illegal and these people are completely dehumanized, but on top of that, they're, they're, they can't even sleep because the Israeli forces will go into these camps every night with live rounds, tear gas canisters, smoke grenades, and basically raid people's homes at all hours of the night, kidnap people, beat people up, um, while we were there, some kid got kidnapped by an Israeli soldier. Um, live rounds were fired in the camp. Um, it is absolutely insane. There's this other camp in Bethlehem, which is like the birthplace of Jesus Christ. It's supposed to be like this like sacred holy city. And that and this this refugee camp is called Aida Refugee Camp, and it gets raided almost every day. It's, I don't know if you've ever seen that video, but an Israeli tank comes into the camp and the guy is on the loudspeaker saying, we're going to gas you to death. 
we're gonna oh gas God. all of your family to death oh and he's like God. telling that to like a little kid who like threw a rock at the tank Holy shit. so i mean you know the similarities are akin to nazism uh kind of come clear with with videos like that you know as troublesome as that comparison may be to hear um it is a little bit hard to not make that comparison when you see videos like that like basically telling palestinians they're going to gas their whole village to death so yeah jamie kirchick wouldn't like that abby well he'd, i mean he'd get really upset at, i mean at, it's at making a valid comparison <laughs> it is I mean, it's, it's just so, totally insane to me it just seems anachronistic and just just on a personal level just mm -hmm. like how this all makes me feel that this mm -hmm. country is able to operate like this and they're able they're running such good pr for themselves mm -hmm. and almost like basically just ways to suppress critique and debate about them that they that's the only way they're able to operate like so in some ways Absolutely. it seems like they're fighting they're like tr they're they're fighting a losing battle where they're trying to prop up something that is completely irredeemable like right. they, it's like it's already a failed state. Like there's no, I just don't understand what's going to happen. I mean, a two-state solution idea at this point almost seems like it's it's impossible. Like no, it's not possible. And it like especially like because I think I mean, and I think a lot of this has been proven that Israel was intentionally trying to like get like boost Hamas's popularity in Palestine too. Like that, they had some hand in trying to make certain factions of the of the Palestinian um, Authority like more extremist and stuff. So, but that's a, a yeah. Know, a no, of course, thing. no. That no, no, no. That is proven. Yeah, I think like that. That is a proven thing that Netanyahu helped foster the rise of Hamas and and really what the PA just so they can conflate it with ISIS and now blame you know this collective yeah. punishment on Gaza on the fact that they elected Hamas it's like that would be like nuking the US and being like well you guys elected Bush yeah no it's, it's like insane it, it allows it almost like by Hamas becoming elected as the actual government it almost allows people like Sam Harris to create this blanket statement that could also apply to Palestinians if you're like dumb enough to be a follower of Sam Harris do you know what I mean? Of course. Like you would of be course. like, oh yeah, these people do love death and like they do like tell their kids to be suicide bombers and stuff. Like it, it's totally, um, it, it's, and, and with somehow with Arafat still in power, it still feel like the world was more aware. Like there was just more of a general understanding. Now it almost seems like only like the people like you and me and other people like on the left have this understanding. And most other people just don't care or don't think about it or something. I mean, do you think that's... Yeah, inaccurate? and another... No, 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 it's totally true. But you almost can't blame them for electing Hamas because think about it. If you're closed off in a prison, which Gaza is, um, and you've been stripped of... First of all, if you were just... The West Bank is completely void of any sort of um, like actual ability to protest legally. Uh-huh. So all... So if... I understand why people gravitate toward the only option of like actual armed resistance because it's hell on earth to live there Yeah, and dying. And I've had several people tell me dying. They're like, look, I mean, I talked to this one woman who was like this matriarch at this. She was incredible. She was this beautiful matriarch at this Afro-Palestinian village. And she was just talking to me. I did this huge interview with her and she was talking to me about the second intifada and how, you know, they 
they don't have you can't build either in the West Bank. It's not just Gaza that you can't get building materials like sure, you can get building materials in the West Bank, but you can't get a permit to build. And if you build, then that's a house demolition order. So if you build a stone wall or if, you know, and a lot of these people that their home is their resistance, their home is their life, their home is everything to them. And they all build on top of their homes for the generations. Their son builds on the top floor and then their grandson builds on, on the top of that. And so all these house demolition orders that are like withstanding, which, by the way, they've just reached a 10 year high. That's how much the Israeli government's like ramping this shit up. Goddamn. So this woman was telling me about just how devastating the second intifada was and how, um, tanks were bulldozing through these tiny refugee camps and just obliterating them. Cause like, if you picture these camps, there's no room for a tank to go through. So that, that was like the whole claim to fame is they were just destroying these villages. But she was just saying, I mean, I asked her about that. I said, what do you say to people who say Palestinians celebrate death and that, you know, you guys like glorify martyrs and stuff. And she was like, don't tell me that if my daughter and son trips and has a bruised knee or a scrape. She's like, I like, she was like, we feel the exact same way about our children. She was like, I love my children. She was like, but here's the difference. She said, we understand that death is a possibility at any given second because we live here and our lives mean nothing to our occupiers. So she was like, we accept death as a possibility and we are extremely realistic that we could die at any moment and that we could die at any day. So she was like, I am going to have my family aware of that. She was like, it's insane that you would ever say that we don't care about life and that we don't love life. And she was like, but we have to smile because that's our resistance is smiling and loving every moment that we live because we know it can be robbed from us at any time. And it was just like an insanely powerful thing that this woman was saying. And I just like wish that everyone could hear it. Yeah. So how many episodes just... Uh, about uh, the reporting you're you're doing over there like are you gonna is this gonna be like multiple episodes or do you think oh yeah cool oh yeah 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 great well i have a ton more stories if i can tell you them oh no please no i just want to so, i just want to know like yeah uh, will we see any of of her in this or yes oh, cool. you will okay. yeah yeah i mean it's just such a disgrace to you know all these pictures of people who who are quote unquote martyrs. Um, it's all people. It's like, first of all, if you are experiencing death every day, every Palestinian you meet has a horrible horror story. Their brother was shot with an exploding bullet. Woman has a bullet lodged in her pelvis protesting peacefully. Other dude, his brother was assassinated because he was just like throwing a rock. I mean, there's just like, everyone has an insane story and, um, it just is never ending, man. It's never ending. Um, we were at this person's house for dinner and they were super gracious and awesome. And they had this little photo of this guy up holding a gun. And I was like, Oh, who's that? And the guy was like, that's my brother. He, he was like, look at what happened to him. And he showed us this YouTube video of like tanks, like bulldozing his house and like shooting like a million bullets, like into his house and like bringing out the body of his brother. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I can't believe this happened to you. And he was like, yeah, we just rebuilt our house. And then like his wife had a bullet lodged in her pelvis, this super cute girl named Anya who, um, yeah, protesting peacefully in front of an Israeli soldier. And he just shot her right in the vagina, basically. So that, that was them. And it's like, they don't come out and be like, Hey, we're suffering. This is our story. They were just like extremely happy and gracious. And then you find out that everyone's suffered these horrendous incidents. But, um, so the most surprising thing to me, I think 
other than like the totally militarized zone and like feeling like I was in like Iraq, yeah. other than that kind of uneasy feeling, the most shocking thing to me was realizing that like 90% of Palestinians cannot go to Jerusalem. So I always knew that there was a permit system. I always knew that there was checkpoints, but I had no idea that there was different IDs and they just changed this actually. So now it's like Palestinian Israeli, maybe not even Palestinian because they don't acknowledge Palestine, but it's like, it used to be like Jewish and Muslim IDs and 90% of people. And think about this, Arabs, that's like their third holiest site is the dome of the rock mosque. It's an incredibly holy site in Islam. Um, and so to not be able to access your third most holiest site other than Mecca, and I forget what the other one is, is like insane. So for like most of the people living in the West Bank are completely imprisoned. They're totally trapped. They can't even go to the beach, which is like a mile away, like literally like a couple miles away from these people. They are forbidden to go to the beach. If they're lucky, maybe they can get a permit like once or once or twice in their lifetime to go pray at the mosque and to go to the beach. Holy so fuck. that that was like devastating to me when I realized that when we were we were driving on these beautiful mountains and we stopped and Nancy was just like see the dome of the rock it's like this beautiful gold button you know in the middle of Jerusalem off in the distance and she was like this is the closest that a lot of people living here will ever get to like something that's so sacred to them and it just ripped my heart out I was like I cannot even believe that this is like happening <laughs> like I can't believe that this is illegal <laughs> like how is this happening <laughs> And wow. another thing that really struck me was, um, yeah, and what they're doing to Jerusalem is insane, too, because there's like a ton of Palestinians living in Jerusalem and they're just making that shit into a complete apartheid city. Wait till I tell you about what what Israelis said when we finally went and interviewed them. But another really thing that really tugged at my heartstrings was we went to this village and talked to the mayor of this village who is getting encroached on every side by settlers and. Um, and what was really heartbreaking was how they actually issue the demolition orders. They're so callous and so terrified to interact with the, quote, other, that they just put a piece of paper with a rock on it in the street. And if you find it, then that's up to you what you want to do with it. And if you don't find it, then a bulldozer's coming to your home, and you're going to be really surprised when that bulldozer starts bulldozing your fucking home. What the fuck? That's how demolition orders are issued. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they could at any time issue a demolition order and then just say it's for any reason or do they even yep. give a reason? If you build if you put a if you put one stone out in front of your house, then that's you're building something. And they have the the option to completely bulldoze your house. What the fuck? Mhm. Mm wow. So And so mm -hmm. but I mean when like if did they just bulldoze people's houses though who don't even try to build or like quote unquote build something i mean yes so they built so they could issue demolition orders for a, a, a variety of reasons um and, and and when you get into the whole settler issue it's a very astounding thing that's happening because we know that settlements are illegal under international law we know that israel's ramping them up we know that they're not going to stop and we know it's kind of one of those things that no one's really stopping them, you know, even though the UN kind of issues these like warnings now and again and these resolutions, nothing's stopping Israel from doing this. We know that. 
But what I didn't know was that it's not just the official settlements, which, by the way, are like adorned with giant wolf statues Uh and like signs that are really crazy and like aggressive, like just in itself, like these crazy ominous settlements. So we're driving around. Not only are these quote unquote legal under Israeli law, these big settlements that are official, like look like huge suburbs, but there's also illegal settlements. Under Israeli law, they are actually illegal. They're actually just trailers that assholes will come, drive up in a trailer home, park it on the ground, and the Israeli government. So this is a way for like external organizations to fund this from hap- for fund this and help aid and abet it. And also the Israeli government pretends like they're not codifying it, but really immediately when this happens, when there's like an a totally illegal settlement even under Israeli law happening when people actually just come with like trailer homes the Israeli government immediately brings troops to protect it sets up power and electricity for them so these out there's they're called outposts and these are everywhere and another thing you realize is that when you're driving along the hillside and you see you know Palestinian villages and towns the settlements are always built directly on top of them it's like there's million, like millions of miles of just vast arid desert and land. But for some odd reason, the settlers want to build directly on top of Palestinians, literally on top of their villages. Like the village will be on the base of a hill and they'll just be on the top of the hill. Um, it's insane. It's crazy aggression. It's psychosis. It's total fucking psychosis. Because if you do that, then who the hell are you? Like what kind of person are you to actually say no in israel proper that's not good enough i have to go like literally set up shop on top of this village because that's how entitled i am it's so crazy (sighs) oh god it's so crazy and the settler violence is crazy too because these settlers are allowed to have guns and they're allowed to have weapons and so we talked to several palestinians who are under constant threat and attack by settler violence this one guy Khalid had to have security cameras set up, of course, not by Israel, by this human rights organization that's helping him out because settlers have already tried to burn his house, put gasoline under his house, tried to burn his family, throw rocks all over, you know, like breaking all his windows and just constantly threatening him. Um, And they live right on top of his house. I mean, I was just like looking at their house while I was with him. It was extremely scary. And I was just like, how do you do like, what are you going to do? And he was like, stay here. He's like, that's the thing that upsets him the most is staying in my home. Like, I can't do anything else. Wow. <laughs> well, the Louis Theroux um, episode where he goes, I don't even remember what mm-hmm, it's called, but mm-hmm. he goes to visit the mm-hmm. settlers um, and just their attitudes. So bizarre, just such a bizarre kind of arrogance that they had. You know, it was definitely Zionist, but it wasn't just that they were Zionist. They were also like, just like narcissist, like they had like, um, like, like literal mental illness. They were like extremely narcissistic to the point where like they were mentally ill. Like right. if you were a, a, a psychologist, you would diagnose all these people of having like narcissistic personality disorder to Absolutely. like the point where they need therapy, like really bad or Absolutely. maybe even psychiatric medication. Like they're fucked up people. It's really sad. No, and that's what it is. I mean, but they have power. You have to be. Yeah, though. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that they actually allow the the Israeli government fosters this and protects them and helps them. That's what's so crazy. Yeah. Um well, they're so, empowered by the yeah, yeah, by the law. So it's like it's almost it's like a George Zimmerman of the uh 
of it's like they 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 like because it's like almost like a stand your exactly. ground law. It's like a crazy ass law that like a racist psychopath could take advantage of. Be like, what? The black guy scared me. Had to kill him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, exactly, that was a dumb, kind of a dumb. No, analogy. I mean it. No, it, it is. It is exactly like that. It's like a bunch of George Zimmerman's being like paid by the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Seriously, and you know, you and you almost. And they like to paint these people as the extremists. Oh, we don't acknowledge them. You know, Netanyahu's whole thing is based on like an Orwellian projection of what Israel is, of course. So, of course, they paint these people as marginal. But really, they are not marginal at all. And they're completely fostered and encouraged by all this crazy rhetoric, genocidal rhetoric. Remember the education minister during 2014 said Palestinians were committing self-genocide. Some other minister in the Israeli Knesset said that all Palestinian mothers should be killed so they stop giving birth to snakes. Oh my God. Like, this is the shit that people are actually saying in the government. Who is so the guy who don't said tell they should me go on a diet? Marginal. Yeah, that was someone else who was trying to administer the conditions of the Gaza siege. <laughs> Fucked up. Uh huh. So, let me tell you another crazy story. It's a place called Hebron. So this is probably the most visible depiction of what apartheid is in occupied Palestine. It's one of the oldest cities in Palestine, beautiful city. You go to the city center, this beautiful old market, and there's just a giant checkpoint with a huge caged off ceiling over the market, of course, because settlers like to build directly over Palestinians. So they built literally like on top of this market. Palestinians had to put up a cage over their heads because they were throwing like feces and garbage and God knows what else at them. So they had to like block off like what the settlers would throw down at them. Um, This one guy whose pregnant wife was shot and killed by Israeli forces who runs a little like rug market. I talked to him and he just had like a giant pile of trash accumulating behind him. And he was like, well, I was like, why is all this trash here? And he was like, oh, this is just what they throw at us. It's It's just hard to clean up. Um, but it's just, so it's crazy. So that's insane. And it's insanely visible because you're just walking through this market. You look up and you see giant guard towers with soldiers and you're like, wow, this is extremely, um, fascist. And then you go through this checkpoint and you, you know, the, we had a little guide for this part too. And he was just like, you know, this part's really interesting because what, what happened was a couple decades ago, crazy ass group of settlers came in to a hotel in this area and occupied it and they said we're not leaving this is our home so what happened is that now there's about three over the over the course of the next few decades there's now about 300 settlers living in this this area completely partitioned off in apartheid style by idf soldiers about 1500 troops protect these 300 settlers and have basically made life a living hell for any palestinian living inside of this settlement that settlers forced onto them and so so they can't access ambulances if you are sick you have to bring your body if you die in there your family has to drag your body down by the checkpoint to to have a funeral for you they don't even allow people to go in and take bodies out um we walked in there if you go to school it takes five hours to go through the checkpoint it's like it's the saddest thing to just see kids walking through this hell So if you leave your house, it will basically get ransacked and raided and occupied. So these people like literally have to stay in their home at all times, like if they can't ever leave. Um, And so we the second we go into this place, um, this little settler kid 
is like playing with soldiers like these two little like settler boys are like hanging out with like all these soldiers up on the hill and they run up to our camera and they're like eh, like yelling a bunch of shit in our camera and dan being way more understanding than i am of like the mentality of these people went up to them and he was like why did you do that and he was like you're with arabe you're with arabe because we were with someone who looked arabic and like with a black guy and one of the soldiers called him a nigger basically as we walked in so that happened and the settler kid was basically just like screaming at us and dan was like hold on hold on he was like so what he was like what's your problem he was like do you he basically brought up this soldier who on the same street a couple months ago had executed an unarmed Palestinian guy mm -hmm. and it was on camera. And so it was this huge shift in Israeli society where this soldier summarily executed someone and the uproar wasn't the fact that he summarily executed someone. It was that there was a government condemnation of it yeah, because yeah, yeah, summary yeah. execution is an actual method that's used and encouraged by the military so what the uproar was in israeli society was how dare you condemn this soldier he's a hero he's killing terrorists this is exactly what you tell us to do we're not going to join the army if you condemn people for shooting terrorists wow so dan brought up this soldier to the kid he was like what do you think about this soldier and the kid was like he's a hero and and dan was just like why and he was like we should shoot all arabs in the head holy shit and I was just like, I can't. And I was like, where are you from? He was like, Chicago. And I was like, why are you here? I was just like, I can't even handle this right now. And it was just wait, how the little dichotomy. Was he? How, how old he was he? like, he was like 13. Wow. Wow. That's and insane. I can't, it's like the dichotomy of being around so many welcoming, gracious kids that didn't even ask us anything, didn't say anything to us. And then like having literally the first kid that I encounter, who's not only American, but basically said he wants to shoot all Arabs in the head was like very repulsive and insane Damn. and really hard to deal with. Um, and so that was just an insanely surreal area because they forced this whole village into a ghost town. They are forcing the evacuation of any Palestinian who remains there, but then they haven't done anything with it. So it's just a completely abandoned city with just a couple hundred settlers living in it, and it's just totally occupied by troops. It was it was completely insane. Um, and I wanted to tell you about about Dan and David Sheen's work because this really tells you the other side of the story. You know, we always hear, yes, they hate each other. Yes, there's propaganda on both sides. They, you know, there's a lot of incitement to violence on both sides. Well you know the problem is that that it's painting it as some sort of equal fight when really there's one side that's a colonized oppressed completely marginalized voice and the other side has the backing of the empire all the weapons in the world and military might and is the colonizer so you know it's it's crazy but here's the really fascinating thing and it kind of shows you how israeli society functions so dan Dan and David Sheen, everyone follow David Sheen and Dan Cohen on Twitter. They're doing the most important work in Israel right now. A lot of leftists have fled Israel. Israel is not a country that is open to dissent. It's not a country that's open to um, criticism. To live inside Israel means that you, you know, you're going to have a really big problem being Israeli or being American in Israel if you're not, if you don't have fascistic tendencies or if you're not, if you don't like openly hate Arabs. Yeah. And this is kind of emblematic with a lot of rise of fascistic societies in history, which is leftists, you know, first they came for the leftists. It's like this kind of mantra in Israel where 
the leftists are blamed even more than the Palestinians because those are the disloyal Israelis that they want to basically have gone so they can ha- so they can hone in on their nationalism, ultra right wing um, fascism. Or making examples out of leftist activists who go over to Israel to try to stop things like Rachel Corey. Exactly. Exactly. So. So Dan and David are basically documenting this rise. And, you know, once again, going back to the whole new atheist, Sam Harris, I don't criticize Israel kind of thing. Well, it's insanely hypocritical because Israel is the most fascinating example of like a theocratic, like religious, like ultra religious fascist takeover like I've, I've ever even heard about. And once you kind of realize what's going on, like. It's not secular. <laughs> Zionism used to be maybe secular. Of course, I don't really think it ever was, but at least it was kind of this mirage of, of a secular society when Zionism and Israel was first created. Mm-hmm. But over time, that has totally gone by the wayside because every generation and every iteration of Israeli society has become more right wing, more religious and more theocratic where people are openly You know, there's this one guy named Yehuda Glick that Dan is like shadowing right now for this documentary that him and David are doing. This guy is insane. He's now like in the Knesset. He calls himself a peace activist because everyone speaks in Orwellian terms. But really, his mentor is this crazy ass rabbi who also like manages the troops, you know, in the secular society. For some reason, a rabbi is like the head of the military. So this rabbi basically beheaded a goat in a meeting. <laughs> like he, he's up there shouting, kill them all, conquer them all, conquer all the men, kill their families. And then what do you know? He pulls out a fucking goat and slaughters it. Jesus this is, Dan was watching it and Dan was like, what in the holy fuck? Like I, this is all on film. This is what's happening there. And no one's talking about it. And these people all want the Messiah to come. They want to, they want to obliterate this Dome of the Rock and they want to make it all Israeli. They want complete obliteration of all Palestinians and they openly talk about it in genocidal terms and it's becoming increasingly religious where Zionism now is just like a messianic fantasy mm-hmm. where you know Netanyahu is considered a leftist. Like literally people hate him because they think he's too left. This is the climate. I saw it firsthand. We went into Jerusalem, the Israeli side, which was completely surreal because here we walk from like the Arab side. And if you want to interject, sorry, I know I'm like rattling off. No, but we walk over to the Israeli side. There was no checkpoints or anything, which kind of shows you this whole like facade of security. You know, it's like, obviously you can coincide peacefully because I just literally walk like half a mile from like all Palestinians to all Israelis. And there was like no problem, but these people are like terrified to even go in this area or whatever. So we go into the Israeli side of Jerusalem. It's like a whole nother world. It's like Montreal. It's gorgeous, you know, beautiful cobblestone streets, all new buildings, like trees on wheels. It was like really surreal, like hippies singing, playing guitar. And we're like, wow, apparently they had just renamed the square that we did these interviews, Tolerance Square, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm doing these interviews and I, I never really believed, Dan. like Dan has been telling me this for a while. He's like, he's been explaining how fascist these people are, how genocidal they are. He's like, you really, it's so mainstream. He was like, my videos are the wide swath of Israeli society. He's like, I'm not like cherry picking here. He's like, this is who these people are. Yeah. And I was like, man, I was like, it's really hard to believe. I was like, look at these people. They look like fucking hippies. Like they're singing Kumbaya and stuff. So, I mean, it turns out he was right. (laughs) We did about 30 interviews, totally random, elderly, youth, 
15 year old girls oh, wow. look like cheerleaders um americans people on birthright like everyone of all varieties and i'd say 95 percent of them said openly genocidal things wow the only the only two people who didn't were like were like yeah they're like i think the occupation should be more humane and when i asked them like how common is this view they're like not common at all as leftists is a slur they're like you don't say that you're a leftist here because that's considered a slur Wow. And they're like, this is a really unpopular view to like, just say that the occupation needs to not be as brutal as it is. Um, these, these two 15 year old girls, like Dan was, was talking to them. And one of the girls was just like, I can't wait for the King to come. We need to kill all Arabs. Oh um, another guy who looked like just like a dorky tech dude I was just like, hey, man, I was like, and, and, and here's the weirdest thing is we weren't even prompting the questions, really. We were just like, hey, we're from New York Magazine. We're doing like a really, um, you know, we're just doing like a documentary and like what Israeli society is like, like, tell us your thoughts. Like, how does it feel to live here? And it would just be like, that's all you needed. And it's just what like the these hell? people just and that was it. This one guy, I went up to him. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I want I want to hear your thoughts. And he was like, oh, I'd be really boring. He's like, I probably don't want to say anything that you want to hear. And I was like, oh. We want all we want all opinions tell me what you have to say and he was like well i think we should carpet bomb all arabs what the fuck and he was like and i and and his friend was like oh come on man he was like he was like don't say that he was like trying to be all like come on that's crazy and he was just like there's some arabs that are good and the guy was like no he was like don't say that he was like i have every reason and we should have every reason to hate them and to not trust them and he was like so crazy and wow. adamant about it i was like whoa so now it was it was crazy. Now we know where Daddy Kagan got his beliefs from. Arabs only Dude. understand force, bro. Um, so the soldier who executed that unarmed Palestinian man, his name was Elo, Elor Azaria. He's like a French-Israeli soldier. And um, Dan and David Sheen have been covering some extremely intense moments of Israeli society going to huge, thousands-strong fascist rallies basically in support of this man. You know, you liken this whole, like the settler complex to David Zimmerman being protected, George Zimmerman George being Zimmerman, protected, yeah. George Zimmerman being protected and like emboldened by the state, which he kind mm. of is by proxy. But this is like a whole other situation where imagine if a cop, you know, executes a, an unarmed black man, which they do all the time in this country. And instead of like a Black Lives Matter protest erupting, it's a giant protest in support of the police officer. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like literally yeah. the same thing happening there. So Dan kind of goes undercover at these giant rallies. It's extremely dangerous to even film there because people will come up to you, smash the camera out of your hand, say, are you Betzalem? Are you Betzalem? Which was like, it's like the one human rights organization inside of Israel that is also the one that released that video of the guy getting executed. So people target videographers. They think that you're a leftist if you just have a camera. So David Sheen got his camera knocked out of his hands just because he was filming this rally. He almost got arrested. Um, Dan has sh filmed extremely horrific things. People chanting death to leftists, death to Arabs. I mean, we're talking about like at least 3,000 people at a time. Um, there was this other reenactment of the Nakba, which was that ethnic cleansing through the Arab part of Jerusalem where just like a thousand look like young men like settlers and Israelis were just like marching through this area, shouting death to Arabs. And Kahane was right. Kahane was like this guy who was considered 
extreme a couple decades ago in Israeli society and who was like excommunicated from the Knesset because he openly called for ethnic cleansing. And now he's kind of like a normalized figure and like a hero to a lot of these people. So really crazy stuff. I encourage everyone to check out Dan and David's videos on this and really support their work. They're, they're documenting the rise of this insane temple movement. All these Israelis who think that the temple is theirs, which is like this sacred holy site that Arabs want to go pray at and they can't. They want to take it all over and make it um, Jews only, essentially. So <clears throat> I wanted to tell some other really crazy story. I was talking about Hebron before um, that apartheid city and a sad thing that happened there. And this is kind of emblematic of the entire collective punishment method that Israel uses is that there was this massacre in one of the mosques, I think like, I don't know, like maybe 20 years ago or something, maybe not even that long ago. One of the mosques there, which was already, um, you know, it's already like an apartheid city, soldiers are every whatever. So a settler comes in and like executes 50 Muslims, I think, praying at this mosque. And like, it just goes on some crazy, oh, yeah. you I know, totally like that crazy that shooting rampage. Yep. That so was what like did, not too long mm -hmm. before 9-11. Like things were getting really crazy in Israel before 9-11. And that was one of, I remember that. Ha was that before 9-11 or maybe? Yeah, I, yeah, it was. It was before 9-11. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, continue. No, no. And so, so what they did in response to that is they actually just punished Palestinians. They segregated the mosque. So now half the time it's Jews. I can pray there half the time it's Muslims. And they just made it way more militarized. And they just used this rationale of security. They anticipated Palestinians to respond to being massacred. And so they just reinforce this insane Fuck. security measures to be like, well, we're scared of what you're going to do. So we're just going to crack down on you. Yeah, they had a mass shooter come into this holy site and they get punished for it. Yep. Yep. So two, two crazy thing, two more crazy stories. Um, there's a whole thing going on. It really shows you that Israel, it's not only a Jewish state, which is an insane concept in, in itself, you know, to have this Jewish state. It's not only that, it's a white supremacist Jewish state. Because the racism is so fucking rampant, it's not just if you're a Jew. That's not enough. There was a mass sterilization program for Ethiopian Jews. See, initially when they brought in this Zionist project, they wanted mostly European Jews. There was even Zionists who were doing false flag attacks across the Middle East to try to encourage Jews to flee, to come to Israel. And that's why you see Netanyahu desperately, like every time there's like a terrorist attack anywhere in Europe, he's like on the ground being like, come to Israel. Like we need more European white Jews. Yeah, Please yeah, yeah. Like, keep our demographics up. Keep our demographics pure. So you could tell Israelis just loathe this kind of presence of Ethiopians in their society who were converted to Judaism and they're there as Jews, but they encounter extreme forms of racism kind of similarly to black people in the U.S., where they encounter, you know, more police terror, brutalization, discrimination, etc. Wait, but, I wanted to stop mm -hmm. you for one yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, of course. The, about the, the Ethiopian Jews mm -hmm. in Israel, I saw somebody trying to, who was like, you know, like acting like they were like anti-Israeli apartheid, like saying that calling the, um, calling it sterilization was like inaccurate because it was, they were given Depo-Provera. They weren't sterilized. But it's like if you're given a birth control, like a very long-term birth control method without being told what it is be, like pl and playing on your ignorance and your desperate situation, that is sterilization. Right. 
because it doesn't matter if they're like actually i mean it's it's amounting to the same thing they're trying right. to lessen the their country's gene pool of ethiopian of descendants they right. don't want it right. just like what i was telling you my theory about why they shoot um mm-hmm. palestinian protesters in the dick and balls mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like not just for humiliation it's also because it's like we don't want you to spread your seed like exactly. it, it's it is almost like a eugenic of punishment um but yeah that's a whole another issue so so not only you know there's like this whole presence of ethiopian jews um then and we interviewed this woman who was Ethiopian because her cousin is kind of like the Trayvon Martin of Israel where he got beat up and like terrorized by police and then like later basically was found in a ditch dead. So it's like they all think that Israeli forces obviously killed him because he was an activist. So she's out there speaking out very bravely. Um, we were interviewing her just on a quiet residential street in Tel Aviv. Two times, two times were interrupted randomly by just dudes, just white dudes. This one guy, like, came, they're all young, like, just these entitled dudes who are, like, our age that one of them came up and just kept saying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, like, behind us. And Mike kept trying to, like, get the guy away. Like, while we're just trying to do this interview with this woman about her experience, her experience, this other guy, like, goes, like, skeeds up on a bicycle and, like, does, like, a highway stop right in front of the camera. And he's just like, what are you, t-? like, just starts yelling at her. And he was like, you're lying. He's like, we're, we're able to stand on the same street. You're saying there's discrimination here? It's like, well, yeah, black and white people were probably able to stand on the same street in 1920. That's but it doesn't so mean that creepy. Jim Crow wasn't, like, a thing. So they just, like, so, like, all these regular Israeli citizens who are, like, super obsessed with this like prop like they bought into all this yeah. propaganda like take it upon themselves to like try to censor people just talking to a camera yeah it was That's insane really Robbie. Surreal. and i and you know this whole time i was tweeting all these things and i had never been attacked by more hasbro zionist trolls than i have on this trip um it was incessant it was all just people projecting, calling me a Jew hater, t- terror sympathizer, da, da, like just conflating everything I was saying by trying to shape the narrative underneath the thread because they know. And, and people should check out our documentary. We did a whole documentary just on how Israel uses Hasbro. They have the greatest propaganda machine in the world. They have universities. They have hot air balloon ride prizes for people who edit the most Wikipedia entries. I mean, they literally, it's a war room. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, so it's, you know, it's no surprise that they would focus on Twitter primarily because those are the comments that can never be removed. So anyone who's like looking at the threads will see all this like counter narrative done by these trolls but even david sheen and dan were like we've never been trolled this hard (laughs) like this is so obviously coordinated by the government and it was all like the same smears on me it just kept calling me a kremlin shill and 9-11 conspiracy theorist and i was like huh it's so weird it's almost like you got sent out a talking point by a you know a mailing list and you guys are all just coming at me with the same shit it was amazing and it really was a testament to what we were doing because it nothing pisses these people off more than showing the reality on the ground because that's what they try to hide the most yeah i mean i think it's a really good i mean i almost look at a lot of that kind of trolling and like weird obsession you know obsessive like and it gets like more amplified like when you're out doing stuff it means you're like over the target you know Mm -hmm. like keep doing what you're doing like that's it's a good sign in a yeah, weird way it is it is but and yeah it, that's 
I mean, it is crazy sometimes when I look at your your Twitter timeline just to see how obvious and coordinated some of it is. Like even when you were when you were tweeting about Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. the stuff you were getting. It just it does seem odd and coordinated. Um, and you know, it's it almost sounds paranoid for me to say that, but it's like if just all just look at Abby's Twitter timeline responses sometime, and and like especially the ones you got when you were in Israel. I mean, it is really ridiculous. Oh, and it is. I mean, it sound, this is the problem is that like we sound like conspiracy theorists for saying that, but it's actually documented. Like the J Trig trolling coordination with the NSA leaks, and also like the Hillary correct the record campaign. Yeah. They they admittedly put millions of dollars into correcting the record of Hillary Clinton online. So and this is a funny? thing. Well, it is a thing too. And it's like, we have to, you know, we can't say who, who exactly, right. what comments are, who they're coming from. That's the problem. But it's funny how, look at what the Democratic Party has done mm-hmm. with like this whole idea of like these Kremlin troll factories. Right. They act like all this stuff that's like talking about how we shouldn't go into Syria and we shouldn't overthrow Assad as like Kremlin trolling, like paid Kremlin trolling. It's like, no, it's not. Right. It's just funny how they use that as a defense, but it's like, we can't, Projection. you know, we sound crazy. We sound crazy when we're like, actually look at all like these thousands of responses you're getting while you're in Israel, all saying the same coordinated talking points and just trying to like waste your time right. while you're over there doing real reporting. Right. And a lot of them were Israeli, like, media people there also, like, based in Tel Aviv, which I found really fascinating. Oh, wow. Um, and, and so on, so here, here's another crazy thing about the African refugees. So Israel's a land of refugees from genocide, fleeing from genocide. That's, like, the basis of the country. So you'd think that they would be slightly open to taking in other refugees that are fleeing from genocide. Um, unfortunately, they are one of the most anti-refugee countries ever, unless you're, of course, a white Jew, and then it's very easy to get in and get citizenship, and you can move on top of a narrow village and, and burn them alive, and then you get maybe a couple months in jail, slap on the wrist. So there's a ton of African refugees who fled Sudan, Eritrea, two of the worst. I mean, we're talking about like during Darfur and shit, and Eritrea is one of like the worst human rights abusers in in Africa. Um, total dictatorship. So a lot of these African refugees fled there thinking, hey, Israel is where we should go. It's this bastion. It's in the Middle East. We can get there. Not easily. Of course, these people not only fled their villages being massacred and families being slaughtered, but then they have to get through Egypt, which is another hellhole. And a lot of these people fled during like the Egyptian uprising. And then they get to Israel. So I think like about five years ago, there was a little bit too many African refugees coming in that were non-Jews and people really, really didn't like it. Um, and so initially, you know, of course, when you cross the border, there used to not be a fence because it's just like so militarized and so hard to get through anyway. And Egypt's really locked down too. So that wasn't really a problem at that point. But a lot of these African refugees started fleeing in. Initially, they would go to this prison and be processed. And then Um, If they were lucky, they would be kind of dumped off in the middle of Tel Aviv, in the middle of the slums. Um, A lot of restrictions on where they could work, how they could have residency, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, it started to change the demographics a little bit in some of these communities. And people started getting really up in arms about it and lobbying the government. The Supreme Court of Israel, I think, struck down this law twice to extradite them to like a essentially like a concentration camp on the border, like to create a camp, an internment camp, 
for these people to create a camp and basically move them like indefinitely in these prisons, like warehouse them. So the Supreme Court knocked it down twice, said it was unconstitutional or whatever. And then they just kind of revised, tweaked the language again. And then the third time the Supreme Court said, okay. So what they did is they literally built an internment camp. We went there. It was absolutely insane. On the edge of the desert, like in the middle of where Israel conducts all these military exercises. So on one hand, you're waking up to like gunfire and tanks rolling around, like re-traumatizing these people who just fled civil war. Already they've been ejected from their jobs and neighborhoods. They were given like orders to basically leave and go to this internment camp. All men, by the way, because they want, once again, keeping the breeding rate down. So they've removed all the men from these areas away from their family. And it's also harder, obviously, for women to have jobs and provide for the household. So they basically want people to self-deport, make their lives a living hell so they will leave willingly. They moved all the men into these warehouses, not all of them, but 3,000 at a time. And they keep them there indefinitely. Like they say that they're going to be there for a year. They had no idea when they got there, how long they were going to be there. We went there and it was insane. It's this place called Holot. And it's, like I said, it's in the middle of the desert. On the way there, there's a giant commemorative statue of a bulldozer. I don't know if it's for Rachel Corey or Palestinians. It wasn't the Caterpillar factory. It was just a giant statue commemorating bulldozing because that's Israel's favorite state tool of aggression. So that was insane. So we get to this camp and we just see like all these like makeshift tents set up of a bunch of like African dudes just sitting there smoking hookah. And, and this is why they don't call it like an actual prison because they allow them to leave like a couple hours out of the prison a day. But they still have curfews. They have to check in at a certain time. They can't like leave for the night. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just couldn't believe that that was happening. It's just something that no one talks about. And it's just so emblematic of how the, the whole society treats refugees and like you know, just like non-Jews, essentially, um, even though they were fully integrated in the workforce and, and whatnot and contributing to Israeli society. Um, then we, you know, I was talking about settler violence before, and one of the saddest parts of the whole trip was at the end on my birthday and also the day that this woman had died from her injuries, we went to see her, this little boy named Ahmed, who basically has burns on 70% of his body because settlers came into his like firebombed his home and dragged his family out and poured gasoline in their mouth and watched them burn alive and Ahmed hid and his mom somehow survived for like another month but died in the hospital after multiple skin grafts and this kid's alive but how could he ever be normal I mean and the craziest thing is we're sitting there talking to his grandfather and he was just like, it hasn't stopped. He was like, we have to move Ahmed in different rooms every night. He's like, we have bars on the windows because they're going to come and throw Molotovs at us. He was like, they still want us to die. Like, it wasn't enough for this to happen. By the way, there was 15 people who did that. One of them got arrested and went to jail for like six months and is out for like Jesus burning Christ. an entire family alive. And like wow. some of the other kids involved were like not 18. So they, you know, couldn't get charged as adults, even though Palestinian children are in jail and being sexually tortured. So... That was a really traumatizing, harrowing experience to realize this kid can't even try to have a normal life now because it's not over. The horror will never be over for him because he will never stop being attacked. Like people actually protested the hospital when he was like still alive, like holding up three, being like, we killed three of them. Like there's one more to go. Like this is how fucking sick these people are. Um, Holy shit. And the icing on the cake was that we had extended our trip because we were waiting to get into Gaza, which of course is like really dear to my heart. And I know that 
it's a whole like as crazy as the West Bank is, Gaza is hell on earth. You know that it's a complete and utter desperate situation that is in total ruins. It probably looks like an earthquake, like a nine point earthquake just hit yesterday because they can't rebuild. They can't get anything. Ninety five percent of the water's unpotable. Um, it's an insane situation. They have electricity for maybe like an hour a day. So I was, we were trying to get in there. We had issued press credentials, which take like a day turnaround. And, you know, we weren't hearing back. We weren't hearing back. So I wrote, I followed up and I was surprised to see our request got knocked up to Netanyahu's press, handpicked press advisor, this guy named Ron Paz. And I was really surprised that he wrote me back and said, you know, um, we have, we have evidence that you're working on behalf of an enemy state. And you guys are enemy agents of Iran. And we <laughs> cannot issue press credentials for someone or allow them to report who are working on behalf of an enemy state. And Mike and I were just like baffled. Dan was just like, this is unprecedented. He even called like people that he knows in the press like help thing. And they were like, that's insane. We've never heard anything like that. And, you know, what's really crazy is Telesaur has people in Gaza all the time. RT is always there. RT, you could argue, is much more affiliated with Iran. Um, Telesaur is, it's an insane allegation. Telesaur is like five Latin American countries who have zero ties with Iran other than regular diplomatic ties, the same as the U.S. does. But it was just such an obvious ideological ban because Of of my politics. And they knew that the bad press for that story would be much easier for them to handle than me actually getting into Gaza and showing the devastation myself. Of course, you know, and this is what they do to Palestinians all the time. They'll they'll make them wait for permits and and whatnot. And they just make people wait. And so what they told us, they wrote back after I sent them back a letter from Telesaur clarifying that that's insane and we should be allowed in. They wrote back saying, like, the investigation will take like 50 days, like knowing (laughs) that we're obviously not going to wait there for 50 days. You know, it's, it's not feasible. So that's their way of being like, no, you're not banned. But it's their way of just preventing us from going there, preventing us from reporting on a war zone that I fund with my tax dollars, a genocide going on, you know, that we can't even access. So that was just like the icing on the cake for the whole trip. (laughs) It'd be funny if at the end of the 50 days you're like, actually, we decided that uh, you're not working with an enemy state and you can come in now. Yeah, yeah, come in, come back, come to Israel. (laughs) Just like you got invited originally by Netanyahu's spokesman who was all sweaty and stuttering (laughs) on your show because you accused his country of intentionally murdering or like trying to murder journalists, which they did. I'm sorry. But the U.S. government and Israel has repeatedly been caught targeting foreign journalists who report adversarial content uh, about them. It's it's a fact. It's totally a fact. Russia, Putin, isn't the only uh, world um, leader that's that should be uh, like looked at as someone who kills journalists, as people like to say all the time. And not US only government, not only kills journalists. Times. Yeah, not only kills journalists, but then lobbies to like have them not labeled journalists. Like the um, oh, yeah. the press yeah. museum, the museum in D.C. commemorated like all the journalists fallen in like every year. And they do a big commemorative ceremony and they had two Palestinian journalists and Israel, of course, lobbied for them to remove their names. Um, Clearly marked press. Yeah. I mean, that's how that's how insane the situation is. That's how Orwellian this whole situation is. So and just how much of an influence that Israel has, you know, people say Mm -hmm. toss around that you hear that phrase all the time, like in, you know, in the the 
the unsavory fringes of conspiracy theory that the Jews control the media. It's, I mean, it's not, that's not, that's not the case. It's that like the Israeli government has so much PR power that they're able to go in DC and change like the Holocaust museum so that it has like a big thing about Iran at the end when you walk out. Yep. I mean, like that's how, that's their PR power. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just like, and that, like what you just said, that they were able to stricken from the record, the deaths. Yep. Of Palestinian journalists who'd sacrificed their lives in doing journalism, the country would have the gall to go in and lobby for that, but then also get it removed. Exactly. Like that's how much power they have. It's it is really unfortunate, but I think it's I do, I think the light at the end of the tunnel here is that, I mean, as horrible as your experience was, and um, as horrible as all these things are, I don't think that they're going to be able to last forever on the world stage acting like this like something has to give but it's not going to be it's not going to be good it's not going to be good for palestinians i don't think the outcome is going to be good you know for the people who are being most fucked with over there um but yeah the country is operating on like crazy uh juice or something it's like they're all believing their own bullshit to the point where there's no hope Per right. se, I mean, the government's just more extremist, more right wing. Um, it's even worse than it used to be. I mean, even George W. Bush was trying to like enforce a two state solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like y- Yasser Arafat was seen worldwide as like someone who could potentially make peace mm-hmm. over there. That's not, we've passed that point. Like, it's like now the PR is so good by Israel. That I don't think most people even have sympathy anymore for Palestinians. It's like it's not even they purposely erase them, right? You know, from the world stage almost. And we just issued Israel the biggest military aid package in history, thirty-five billion dollars. Yeah, thirty-five billion dollars. Holy shit! And I forgot to tell you almost the craziest story of all. We we're yeah, we we're me. going through Kalandia checkpoint just an average day in the West Bank going through the checkpoint and we're about four cars back and a guy, Palestinian older man to our left was walking toward the checkpoint. And a lot of times the signs are in Hebrew. You don't, you know, like people have been killed there before because it's a car only lane. Uh So this guy's walking toward them with his hands up and they fire a shot at him. And Jesus. Yeah. And we and Dan was like, holy shit, this guy's going to die right now. And Mike was just like, get down, get down. Like it all happened so quickly that I honestly thought we were like bullets were going to ricochet off this off things and like hit our car because we were right next to this guy. And they shot at him. And it's a miracle that they didn't execute him right there because he just turned around. They all rushed him. He's like five private security contractors that were standing there all juiced up, got their guns all up trigger happy motherfuckers and they're just all surrounding this dude and dan was like he's gonna die right now he's gonna die right now and he was like this is the craziest thing ever this is crazy and it was just like i I mean i was just like ducking in the car we were trying to film it but we were terrified and like luckily the guy didn't didn't die he walked away and and i don't know what happened after that they might have arrested him or something but it was so crazy because right when that happened dan was telling us a story that right before like a couple months at that very spot a pregnant woman 
I think she was Ethiopian, actually got a permit for the day to go into Jerusalem, which is a huge thing for people. And she couldn't read the signs. So she was walking in that exact same spot where that guy was and they executed her. And as she lay there dying, her little brother like jumped on her body to try to like save her and they executed him too. So as Dan is telling us this insane story, we almost saw a guy get executed right in front of our eyes. And it was absolutely insane. And as we go through the checkpoint, the soldier had the, had the audacity to tell us, be safe, guys. <laughs> like, it's a crazy world out there. It's like, yeah, the only thing that's going to keep us unsafe is you motherfuckers shooting indiscriminately. Like, oh, my God. And then, like, I, I posted this on Facebook or whatever, and someone was like, thank God you're white. And I was just like, dude, these dudes don't give a shit if you're white. They they didn't check us and be like, are you guys white Americans in there? It's like, they don't care who stands in their way. They will kill anyone who's in their way. That's what they do. Well, and they probably, and again, it's, it's like they're probably allowed, able to just act like that because they could just say, well, we didn't know if he had like a suicide vest on or something. Like that's how they get away with anything by saying that. It's the same reason the Boston police were able to completely lock down and enforce martial law on the, on the city yep. and, and, and then like shoot to kill, like go on like some crazy manhunt where we don't even really know what happened. Right. We just know that some guy got ran over and killed and then like the guy is like was shot like enough times where he couldn't talk in court and like that's it. And it was all because apparently they had bombs and they were throwing them out of the car, which there was never any evidence of. Yeah, because they banned helicopter footage and then the kid was in a yeah. boat and it was like a one-way gunfire for like an hour. It was like a miracle that that kid even lived. They were probably like, oh, um, damn. I mean, I think that that's... I'm surprised that we haven't had something like that <coughs> happen since. Right. <laughs> I mean, just in terms of like a weird... Right. Almost like, I mean, not Israel style, but kind of almost like it. Like the gloves are off. Like the police are now allowed to go on like a terrorist manhunt. Mm-hmm. Well, like, look at we the drone ha- that just killed that guy who was shooting oh, at yeah. police. That's that's similar. Yeah. It's kind of like a really but insane it, thing that no one really questions. They're like, what? Like the guy. And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, why don't we put people on trial before we blow people up with machines? Is that just what we're doing on the streets of America now? I know I can't even that 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 incident was so crazy like I even I swear to god like I forgot about it until you just yeah. mentioned it <laughs> god damn it dude things have been just been going nuts I mean Hillary the Hillary Hell stuff is like is like finally actually seems like it's credible now too which is like really also weird throwing weird shit into the mix I mean is there anything else you wanted to say about just all the shit that I told you like are you surprised at how crazy it is I'm surprised that Dan seems like a level-headed. He doesn't seem like a. Ra- he doesn't seem that radical, to me. So I'm. It's interesting to hear you telling me that like you were even like skeptical of some of the things he was saying until you saw it for yourself and immediately realized like he wasn't exaggerating at all. Like right. that's really fascinating because even sometimes, yeah, it's like I know that he's there reporting on this stuff, but sometimes like my brain almost doesn't allow me to be like, wow, this video of this rabbi saying these things. That he must just be like some part of my brain is still going like he must just be like an aberration or exactly. something. Exactly. Exactly. You don't realize it's almost like it is it is really covered up there. There must be like a weird it's like it's really bad if you let this stuff get out there. Like I'm surprised he's not under more scrutiny with the stuff he's releasing. He's gonna get banned soon. 
I mean, it's you can't you last so? for long. Yeah. And and I mean, he's even scared to be on camera because he the second people start recognizing him, he's done. I mean, there's lynch mobs. He's been around people sh- shouting death to the videographer who like filmed that guy getting executed. I mean, he's in danger every day and it's an extremely dangerous situation to be filming what's going on there. And he has well, the, balls of steel, man, him and David. I mean, honestly, I'm the part of the reason I'm not surprised of most of the things you're saying. And they're all very crazy things is because probably because I had I, that video really does sort of codify a lot mm-hmm. of those things mm-hmm. at once. When you watch the whole video. And what video and are you talking about? The video of this guy getting executed. Oh, that led right, to, right, right. Because the video and the reaction, which I didn't realize this was the reaction until you right. really described it all. Like, I, I kind of knew some of it because I see Dan posting sometimes mm-hmm. on Twitter. But the video itself is really creepy because... So this guy was he? He was a knife attacker guy. No, right? well, well, that's a thing. A that's a thing. Is that, is that there was say, two? Though? No, no, there was two guys. This is why this is so crazy. There was one guy who was wielding a knife, and he was executed. No one talks about that guy. This other guy is was totally unarmed. Okay, and that's who so, that he was totally immobilized and unarmed, and wasn't wielding a knife. So there was two dudes they, there. They had already shot him. He was and he was on the ground, right? Yeah. Okay, so in this video, this guy is shot, injured, on the ground. He's obviously completely immobile. And all these people are just casually yep. kind of hanging out. There's like an ambulance there. <laughs> the atmosphere is very, very casual. Like ambient, Keep in yeah. mind. Because as we were saying, a lot of times the IDF and the mindset is like at any time these people could be triggering a suicide bomb or they could have like explosives hidden underneath their clothes or all, you know any of that stupid shit. So it doesn't seem like any of the people there are scared that this guy on the ground is like that. And then all of a sudden, um, a car passes by, and you see an Israeli soldier walking up with his gun and shoots him in the head point blank on the ground, just mm-hmm. in front of like a crowd mm-hmm. of tons mm-hmm. of people, mm-hmm. and nobody reacts at all. It's the weirdest, one of the weirdest, like, like crazy fascist snuff mm-hmm. videos I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. Like... I mean, if anybody did that in the United States, even if like everybody was like a white redneck, like Confederate flag wheeling person around like a cop who blew a black guy's head off, like on the right. ground, they would all be like, whoa, like, whoa, dude, <laughs> like, what are you, whoa, shit. Like, they would be like horrified. Right. But these people are just like, oh, yeah. It's it's seriously really, really awful and surreal that that's the atmosphere over there. Right. And I think it just says a lot, just that video. Um, and then, and then his blood is just running down the street on like a, the street's like a slightly incline and mm-hmm. there's just like a pool of blood. Mm-hmm. All these people are just hanging out. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's really, really disturbing. Um, and then that guy got like, did he, how, what was his punishment? This is, was this it- is amazing. He didn't get punished. All he was, all he did was get like relegated to some like base he's like basically in house arrest on some base he's still able to go home for holidays see his family every couple weeks and that's what they're outraged about wow so he just got basically like a slip slap on the wrist oh yeah oh yeah uh, yeah and to them he's a hero for what he did wow and i will just say that you know we also talked to this guy ronnie barkin who's uh, also an Israeli who's out of Israel and he was we did an interview with him and he was just talking about how look the two-state solution is long gone 
Um, Netanyahu claims that there are two states now. You know, like a lot of people have this gross misconception of what the two-state solution is and what it means. And there is no other solution other than dissolving this Jewish state and, and having just an inclusive state with equal rights. I mean, that's really the only yeah. way that this can happen. And unfortunately, it can't happen from within Israel because as we're saying, it's become so much more right-wing and the fascist fascism is becoming consolidated more and more that it's actually causing leftists and anyone remotely leftist to self-deport. And so Ronnie was just telling me, he was like, I can't live here. Like there is no hope from within Israeli society to change it. Because think about it, the people that move there already have that mentality. You can't move to Israel and be one of these settlers and move on top of a Palestinian village and not have this like insane xenophobic hatred and entitlement. That's like what causes you to move there as Louis Theroux showed clearly in that crazy documentary. And this is, so it's like, it kind of makes sense, but it's also very frightening and there really is no hope. That's why BDS and these like outside campaigns are so important. Um, and I wanted to also just say one more thing, like the whole getting banned thing, we won't know until we try to go back. If we got banned, um, there was this one girl who was like a nobody from Florida, totally unrelated to our group that was just in the airport that got banned for life because she just had an Arab Arabic 101 book in her bag, just like some blonde American. And they were like, you're an Arab sympathizer. You're banned from Israel. Holy shit. So this is this is straight up real. And like another thing that's crazy, one more thing that I'll say is um, that you, if you're Palestinian, you can't even fly out of Tel Aviv because it's like illegal for you to like enter. So you have to f- go to Jordan. And so it's just causing all of like, you know, distress, like a whole other day of traveling and going through like this giant border and paying all this money just so you can literally travel and fly on a plane. God damn it. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, man. So awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God damn. Mm-hmm. Like, are there any, like, people who, like, activists who have settled in, like, Palestinian territories? Like, who have done the opposite of what Israeli settlers are doing? Yeah, I mean, there's sure to, like, tons of, like, NGOs and, like, you know, like, Dan. I mean, he's, like, mm-hmm. doing a lot of great stuff, like, and he lives in Ramallah, which is an Arab city which is like unheard of if if anyone heard that they'd be like you live with the terrorists but like yeah there's a lot of people who are living in um in the occupied areas trying to bring attention to this but not so much like you know it's mostly with like ngo work yeah so well also the sad thing too is that all these it's like in a weird way they're Israel has managed to lock down and like put behind a wall their own refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. Like they're, I mean, if you want to even, I mean, that's a, a, probably a stupid way to describe Palestinians, but like that's like whatever they've done, managed to do to stave this off this long so that they don't have to integrate, like, mm-hmm. and have equal rights for all the people that live in their country. Um, it's just fascinating that the and how they exploit like the refugee crisis in Europe, where right. anytime like an ISIS attack happens, or you know, or whatever, or not. I mean, not ISIS attack, but just anytime like a 
you know, a Muslim terrorist attack happens, it re that's like, and they can tie it to a refugee or make it scare the public into thinking it's from refugees, then it reinforces that Israel, you know, propaganda that they're trying to put out. It like makes it makes it almost harder for the Palestinians to get attention for their plight. Of course, and that's the unfortunate thing is because every time ISIS does something or anytime these groups do something like that. The people who the some of the worst actors involved in this, like who are in the you know pro West, like Israel and the United States, they signal boost it, um, and it just again it helps grease the skids for that like Sam Harris mentality that they are that you know it's just a death cult and all that bullshit. Yep, yep. And Netanyahu and just really put sad. out a Netanyahu just put out a video to show just the epitome of this Orwellian rhetoric. It was crazy. It's this video of Netanyahu basically just sitting at it. It's like he put on just like you like a video camera on himself. And he's just like, I want to talk about ethnic cleansing. And you're like, oh, shit, you're going to like acknowledge that Israel's doing this. And then he's like, <laughs> he's like, we're Jews are being ethnically cleansed because you're refusing to allow us to build settlements. And it's like Holy the most shit. insane video. And the U.S. even like issued some statement. And they're like, this is very unhelpful and like bad that you did this. But it's just like, wow, it's, it's like so much genocide, projection, dude. dude. No, it's, I remember that like ridiculous <laughs> neo-Nazi video from a long time ago that was like, white genocide. Yep. Do you remember that? Yep. It's, all the girls, like, it was like a bunch it's of It's like concern trolling, like alt-right stealth neo-Nazi bullshit Netanyahu's pulling. Yep. You fucking asshole. Yep. I, he's such a loser yeah. that he would do that. Yeah. It's exactly like the alt-right. So babyish and also <laughs> more than babyish, scary as hell, you know? Because people believe it. But, yeah. and, oh, I wanted to say one more thing about how, you know, you were saying, like, the whole rhetoric about how scary it is and how, like, anyone can have a suicide vest at any time and everyone needs to be on alert. Yeah. It was interesting because there was, like, two opposing beliefs happening at one time when we were interviewing a bunch of Israelis. Everyone was just like, it's terrifying. There's tons of terrorist attacks. There's stabbings, like we're scared for our lives. But then like in the next breath, they would be like, Israel's the safest country in the world. Like we, everyone should come visit us. It's like so safe and great. We don't, we're not worried about anything. It's like, wait, so do you guys actually feel fear or is this what you're being told? Because like, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, well, the only time that they, that they really get sympathy for their fear that they feel or that they did was during like some of those, like there's like a bus suicide bombing and like a nightclub bombing in like Tel Aviv and then like when they when any when any time like rockets supposedly come over from Hamas they're always able to act like they're completely under siege right you know like every time that happens so I always wonder like how much of that is actually happening I mean not the nightclub bombings but especially the rockets they talk about like how you know like how how exaggerated is that and like you know, how many normal, like, Israeli citizens have actually experienced that? It just seems like it is, like, extremely overblown, and it's just used like a prop. Yeah, it's just, like, you know, super Orwellian. It's like a government loudspeaker being like, all right, rockets are coming. Not really, but, I mean, I just picture Orwell, like, you know, we're always at no, war with Eurasia. I it's think like so, the yeah. rockets are coming, but no one ever sees the rockets. And it's like, I heard that the Iron Dome is, like, not even really effective at all. So it shows you how much of a facade just this whole, like, thing really is. Wow. Yeah. So really fascinating. I mean, I told you like uh one of the like biggest trolls like uh that I ever experienced was this Israeli guy who at a certain point like it literally seemed like he was one of those like guys who was like hired to do Hasbro. Yeah. 
like it, it, it just was really interesting because at first it's like well he's from israel it doesn't mean his you know his politics right. Right. are necessarily terrible but then like over time he would just derail like every political thread um any discussion that got remotely political to like basically dehumanize palestinians like find every opportunity possible <laughs> or arabs or middle easterners you it's know, crazy course, dude israelis um yeah it is and like every time i would you know i posted this photo of this like burned child and just said a, a fact about him i was like he's the only survivor of like this horrific attack on his family and like everyone was just like what about the girl who was stabbed like six months ago or like what about are you gonna show the other side and it's like the other side of fucking what like do you want me to go interview the murderous psychopath who moved on top of his village and then and then firebombed him like is that what the point of view that you want because i'm not gonna <laughs> fucking give that point of view like i'm so sorry dumb. but like it's just it's, sheer ignorance or willful ignorance and i can't tolerate either i'm sorry no I mean, it really is the same mentality when it's like so-and-so, you know, is accused of like being a serial rapist and here's all the women that accuse them. And then they're like, well, what about all these women who like lie about being raped? Right, right, right. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some women who have lied about it, but it's like, why would you, why would that always be your point of content? Like, to always like bring it back there. Like something's wrong. That means something's wrong with you. You can't accept reality, dude. And it's always like three examples. It's like, what about the Virginia or like whatever the Rolling Stone yeah. story? And you're like, uh, you got anything else? Because yeah, a lot of <laughs> girls get raped all the time. And like just because one story got something wrong, it doesn't negate everyone's experience of getting raped. Yeah. God, people just piss me the hell off, man. But I, at this this time, I didn't let anyone bother me. I just blocked everyone did not respond because i know that's just the worst thing they want to bog you down they want you to react and you just have to block them immediately because that's all they have um is bogging you down and, and making you think that you're not like a real journalist because you're not covering the israeli side and it's like dude all i've like people were like oh confirmation bias it's like look i didn't even know what palestine was until i was 18 years old okay what what's wrong with that picture you know, and the yeah. only thing I knew peripherally was like that Palestine was involved in 9-11 because I saw the dancing Palestinian footage repeated ad nauseum across <laughs> corporate media. So what's wrong with that picture? It's not like I am going over there with this confirmation bias that I've had my whole life. It's that I've been indoctrinated with Zionist propaganda my whole life and finally seeing what's real. That's the difference. Well, it's so funny because it's like they act like they're rational, skeptical people, but it's like they've indoctrinated to such a sad and disgusting level of like ingrained American brainwashing from youth that like they've deluded themselves into thinking that they're like rationally thinking people who like, Oh, like that's like too much of like Abby taking aside. Yeah. It's like, that's the really weird, sad thing to me. Like it's just that these people dig their heels in and they act like they're intellectual about the world. But it's like, if you can't accept what Israel is and the right. reality of it, then that just means that you are, yeah, you're being willfully ignorant, you're delusional, or you're the one with confirmation bias, because this is what is actually happening yeah. over there. Um, and, uh, and of course, we have emotions and feelings about it and opinions about it. It's horrible. Right. I mean, I'm not saying everyone has to agree with our opinions on it, but if you like deny, if your whole thing is just to deny and deny and deny and bring up things that Palestinians are doing to Israelis every time you bring up these points, 
then you're having trouble with facing reality. You need right. to fucking wake up. Right. Or just or just exit the dialogue. Don't debate people. Or maybe you're there getting paid by someone to right. debate people and, and bog people down in bullshit concern trolling. You know, it was very telling that here you are in Israeli society talking to people and then you go into Palestinian society and you're just, it's just a, I didn't hear one person say anything about Jews. I didn't hear one person say anything remotely genocidal at all. And I talked to hundreds of people. People could have thought I was easily Israeli and easily a settler. And I think that's just a really very very stark difference in the propaganda that we're fed which is the opposite which is that jews can't even live because palestine wants to wipe them off the map and da, da, da. look it's it's just a lot of uh, these this palestinian guy who's like basically practicing nonviolent resistance even though his camp gets raided and harassed every day and all throughout the night they can't even have a decent night's sleep because soldiers are throwing tear gas canisters in their home but he was even just like look he said it's not he said i i would almost be fine if they just took that hill He's like, but they don't want that hill. They want this hill and they want this and they want our camp. He was like, they're not going to stop. He was like, and I'd yeah. be, and he was like, and that would be fine if they just wanted there, but they don't just want there, do they? It's not just going to stop there. And he was like, and I, it's just so, it's, I get really emotional because it's just so fucking crazy. You know, it just, it was so crazy to hear these people be like, look, we don't, we just want rights. <laughs> we don't want to yeah. live in hell. And everyone was just like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And they fuck with the... They, they, it's like the Israeli government wants to psychologically terrorize Palestinians. That's why they enable all these settlers and protect them. Like, even in, in that Louis Theroux special, there was, like, this random, like, Israeli... Like, he's, like, a 19-year-old kid who just had, like, a tent. And he just, like, set it up in yeah. the middle of, like, this... In the middle of, like, a Palestinian neighborhood just to, like, just be like, this is mine, you know? Yep. Like, I'm going to settle here. Like... And the fact that a guy like, you know, like, it's funny that the Israeli soldiers, like, stay safe. Like, but it's like, how is that guy staying safe? Right. Obviously, they're protecting him because they enable this kind of behavior because exactly. they want to fucking psychologically mess with the Palestinians. It's not just physical terror. It's also psychological. They want to wear them down. It's And it's it, it's really sad. I mean, but that's... You know, as people say, war is hell. I mean, that the is Israelis are waging an endless war on the Palestinian population, yes. literally and figuratively. It's so much worse than I ever could have imagined. Even with all the research I've done, all the videos I've seen and everything I've read, nothing can prepare you from being there. And I didn't even go into Gaza. And that's how bad it was. And even Mike was like, this is comparable to being deployed in Iraq. He was yeah. just like, this is this is hell. Yeah. Yeah really crazy how a place like that is this religious epicenter of like the three major religions of the world Mm -hmm. that that it all centers around that location and then also i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not saying this is any means anything but babylon too i mean we fucking decimated the city of babylon like one of the first ancient societies um it's just weird you know that these are the places. Um, so I'm not, and, and I'm not it's trying, to get, I'm not trying to get biblical on anybody, but no, it just it just freaks me out no, sometimes it, to think it that, is they, that these religious people are creating this shit. Right, dude, almost. and 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 they and it's based on a four thousand year old idea. Yeah, you know, it's like, 
like some guy was telling me when I was in Jerusalem, he was like, we built this street. And I was like, you did? I was like, it looks fucking brand new, dude. What do you mean you built it? Like, what does that mean? Like that, it's the most insane thing ever. And so when people say, I don't criticize Israel and they call themselves atheists, they're fucking hypocrites because Israel is the most insane perversion of religion painted as a democracy. Mm hmm. Yep. So it's, it's just because they have unreal. this guise of uh, Western style, you know, fun and debauchery and, you know, but then, yeah, but it's only the Israeli um, Jews who get to hang out the way, you know, that way or the tourists. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was always just confused. And then also just the whole, their whole idea of bringing, um, you know, ex- importing jews from other countries to like volunteer in the idf yeah. like you can if you're a patriot do you even have to be jewish to go volunteer in the idf or can you can you just be like a patriot no uh, i think that you have to be jewish but it, it is an important point because during the gaza siege or not the siege it's always under siege but during the massacre in 2014 operation protective edge I remember, you know, most of the civilian casualties of is not civilian. Most of the Israeli casualties were military and like half of them were American. And I remember reading that thinking, excuse me, like why are so many Americans fleeing to join the IDF? You grew up in America and somehow you have this need and desire to go police and harass and kill Palestinians. That's fucked up, dude. Something's wrong with you. Yeah. It's really fucked up. So anyway, everyone check out the series. It's going to be a doozy. We have footage of everything that I talked about here. Going to be a huge, um, great epic finale for the first season of Empire Files. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Thank you. Well, great talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to me just rant and rail and go off on all these crazy stories. But it just needed to lay them out because it was just such a harrowing, crazy experience. And... It was, it's weird to be back and it was weird to be back on the plane with all Americans coming back from birthright, just talking about how great Israel is. And I just, just really, really difficult, you know, and, but I'm so much more emboldened now to talk to Zionists and to talk to really anyone about this issue because no one can tell me that I'm wrong. I've seen it. I've lived it and that's it, you know? Yeah. And, and if you want to be a privileged, entitled American and be pontificating about what you think is going on, then go over there go to the West Bank and then report yeah. back to me and tell me what you think and be with Palestinians in the West Bank and then yeah. tell me that it's not apartheid. Yeah. So everyone, you know, just realize what is really happening here. It's the gravest humanitarian disaster almost in the world next to Syria. And if we don't stop it, it's going to get worse. And Israel's just going to get worse and worse and worse. More people are going to die and it's up to Americans. It really is up to Americans. Not only the Saudi Arabia war in Yemen that's obliterating tens of thousands of people. I think it just hit actually 10,000 casualties. But, um, you know, hospitals, schools, water treatment plants, that's all paid for by America. We just had this giant arms deal with Saudi Arabia and Israeli occupation, 100% emboldened and wholly operated by the U.S. government by proxy us so i mean we have to stand up and speak out and demand an end to this put yeah. out the right narrative correct the narrative wherever you see it don't be scared of being called an anti-semite that's how israel thrives that's how it exists it's the greatest anti-semitic force in the world because it basically paints all jews as 
Zionists, which is insane. No. And it's anti-Semitic to do that because I know a lot of amazing Jews who are completely anti-Zionist. And also don't fall into that rabbit hole of, I feel like, and this is something we've talked about privately, is like reverse Hasbro, how there are, there's a lot of like, it seems like coordinated efforts online to like get people who are already in the sort of the mindset we're in of being like anti-Zionist and anti-Israeli government to like start like talking about Jews too much. Right, like, right. You know, the Jews are doing the wars, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, it almost seems like that's out there and that's creating all this noise online to get people to be like, yeah, the Jews are creating it. Like, so it's like, it's almost creating that fake reality that people who are anti-Israel are anti-Semitic and like also try to look out for that because, um, you know, it, it gets tricky out there to, Absolutely. Like, to Absolutely. make sure that, you know, cause it almost in some ways makes, I think it might make people afraid cause it's like, well, if I talk about Israel too much, then I will be it is anti-Semitic because everywhere I go, when I look at these anti-Israel videos on YouTube, all the YouTube comments are always the Holocaust didn't happen. Here's a link to right. it. So you got to almost tune out that noise to just and just be confident that, you know, if you know you're not anti-Semitic and you know that it, what Israel's doing is wrong um, in your heart, then then, you know, find search out stuff that's on that same wavelength and you'll be OK. Um, you know, I mean, the, the problem is like you can always the ADL and all these organizations will always find something um, to tie back to and like like something having to do with anti-Israel politics. Like some of Max Blumenthal's articles um, got spread around in these neo-Nazi websites like Stormfront, you know, and then right. it was like, oh, well, that means ne Max is like courting anti-Semites. It's like, no, it doesn't. It just means that these people, um, you know, racists some actual anti-Semites will try to just find extra ammunition for right, themselves. Right, of course. You know, of just course. like I'm sure that, you know, people can say the same thing about our anti-war stance. It's like, oh, we're just like feeding into, like we're helping ISIS by like, you know, it's the same, it's the same BS. Yeah, exactly. It, so it's up to um, us to call out and I, and I block anyone that's remotely anti-Semitic. I block them immediately on across all of my social media. It will absolutely not be tolerated. And it's up to all of us to also not tolerate anything that is remotely anti-Semitic because that completely negates the extremely crucial reality and truth that is happening. Um, no. And so we need to sort through this bullshit and put out put out exactly what's happening because it's up to us to correct the narrative. And that's really, they're only thriving on disinformation. Yeah, completely agree. Um, thank well, you so much for listening. Thanks so much for talking. It was great to talk to you, Rob. Uh, we'll do another podcast soon about all the other crazy stuff that's going on. I know there's a lot happening, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, check it out and donate to mediaroots.org. Donate or watch a very heavy agenda. My brother has a new box set out of his three-part documentary on neocons. Yeah, and um, also uh, we just put out an interview with um, documentary filmmaker and star of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> Alex Winter. So check nice. that out. It's the last podcast. Nice, on one. Media Roots Radio. And if you donate, put radio in the donation link. Um, and let me know if the donate button isn't working. I haven't gotten many donations lately, but... Um, I know it's probably because we're just not doing anything on Media Roots, and I am going to really try hard to get more content out. So um, subscribe to the newsletter and let us know what you think. Thanks so much for listening.
Thank mm-hmm. you.